I'm Tess Vigland, and as we work, we're learning that an employer can give. Walmart is implementing an emergency uh, leave plan, and this is unprecedented. Amazon announced that it is ordering millions of face masks and offering employees who are sick with coronavirus two weeks paid leave. And an employer can take away. Amazon is now ending paid sick leave for COVID. The e-commerce giant notified its American employees in a memo over the weekend. Walmart is cutting paid leave for workers who've tested positive for COVID. They will now get one week of pay instead of two. This is As We Work from The Wall Street Journal, a show about the changing workplace and everything you need to know to navigate it. Coming up, companies responded to the pandemic by changing policies for workers, including expanded sick leave. Now a few big employers are starting to pull back. Amazon and Walmart say their changes are in light of revised CDC guidance. But it's leaving workers to wonder if corporate culture is shifting back to what it was before the pandemic. We'll explain what's happening and why, and how the economy is having its say. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Remember back about, oh, two years ago and change? The pandemic was taking hold. A lot of us were scared for our health and the health of our loved ones. And while a lot of us got to switch to doing our jobs through a screen from the comfort of our living rooms, frontline workers risked their lives. Some companies, Walmart, Amazon, Home Depot, UPS, CVS, companies big and small, added benefits like expanded sick and bereavement leave, hazard pay, remote work, and flexible schedules. It led to a lot of talk about a more humane workplace, one focused on what the workers need, not just what helps the employer's bottom line. In fact, on the very first episode of this show, we heard about how CEOs were practicing active empathy due to the pandemic, especially as people started walking out the door in the great reshuffle. But as the pandemic became endemic, some companies started pulling back on those expanded benefits. In early January, both Walgreens and CVS announced they'd cut back the extended paid sick leave that was put in place for workers who tested positive for COVID. They both cited revised CDC guidance around quarantine. Since then, the rolling back of pandemic benefits has continued, and the looming threat of a recession hasn't helped workers' case to keep them. The fact is, the virus is still with us. Census data shows between June 29th and July 11th, 3.9 million Americans didn't work because they were sick with COVID-19 or were caring for someone with it. So could this pullback in expanded leave be a sign other benefits could be on the chopping block? 
We're joined now by Brian Kropp, a vice president of research at the consulting firm Gartner, who's been watching and studying the benefits bounce over the last couple of years. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Let's start with how companies reacted to some of the special needs of the pandemic. Uh, A Kaiser Family Foundation survey from November of 2021 found almost 40 percent of workers were at a firm that either began offering paid sick or family leave or expanded leave benefits uh, that they already had. Why were they doing that? You know, there's a lot of things that were going on at the start of the pandemic to really support employees through that. It wasn't just additional sick leave to have help people take care of uh, their family if someone in their family had COVID or for themselves. It was actually leave expanded in a variety of different ways. Yes, the sick leave, but also additional leave to support the mental health of their employees. And in addition to just more leave in kind of the traditional sense that as an employee, you get additional sick days or additional vacation days, what several companies started to do was actually create days where they shut down their whole company. Right. So the whole company could recoup. So those were decisions really that were a reaction to the pandemic, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the approach that companies were taking, if you think back to you know, summer, fall of 2020, spring of 2021 sort of time period, the viewpoint was basically, look, take whatever time you need. We will figure it out later. And one of the reasons why they were able to do that as a side note is nobody was taking vacation. Oh, right. So if you look at the net amount of days missed, vacation days moved to close to zero and sick days increased. So net from a company perspective, by being very liberal about sick leave, they didn't actually have people missing more days because everyone stopped taking vacations. Right, right. We were all locked up. Yeah. And, you know, your vacation was moving from your living room to your dining room. You know, and that and that was it, right? <laughs> I remember that vacation fondly. I think I have some photographs of that somewhere. <laughs> so not only was it the right thing to do to support their employees, but uh, it actually had no negative downside to the overall performance of the business because of that decline in vacation days that people took or, or didn't take, as the case would be. Right, right. Can you give us a sense of of some of the companies that were doing this and and what their policies were? I, I remember hearing, I think Walmart, Amazon were doing some of this. Others? Yeah, there were a variety of other companies, and, and almost you could look across the board uh, in terms of companies that became much more liberal about uh, sick leave. Uh, but then you can also look to a company like Cisco Systems, the technology company. They were one of the first to actually implement the collective mental health days. Hmm. And other companies have since adopted a, a similar approach. Uh, what we've also seen more companies do is decide that there's collective weeks that the company's going to shut down from a leave perspective. So a lot of companies now will take the week of 4th of July off in the U.S. or the week between Christmas and New Year's off. And that's by shutting the whole company down, it sends a stronger message that this is something collectively that we're going to do. So then as the pandemic, uh, I don't know, can we can we say it waned? I, I'm not sure exactly where we are in, in the verbiage that we're using around that. We figured out how to live with it to a greater degree. Right. Yeah. Um, But then the labor market also started tightening up and these expanded benefits became sort of a calling card, didn't they? You know, come work for us. We'll treat you right. What are some of the other benefits that that were being touted? I'm I'm thinking, you know, flexible hours, remote work. Yeah. So when it comes to flexibility and just more time, uh, you're absolutely right. Most of these benefits started during the pandemic, but they stayed as the labor market got hot for a couple of reasons. 
One, uh, it's an effective way to attract and retain employees by saying you've got this additional time, this additional flexibility, the ability to work when and where it makes the most sense for you. The labor market really likes that sort of stuff. Uh, and there was enough companies that were offering it and the competition for talent was so intense that even if companies didn't want to offer it, they were forced to. Mm -hmm. Because when half of other companies, if not more, have moved down that path, you're faced with a choice, which is, well, I'm going to have to pay you know, 20% premiums above market for employees to uh, have to come and work for me if I'm not going to give them flexibility, uh, or I can give them flexibility and compete uh, from that perspective. So you have that going on. Then the other thing that was uh, been going on is the labor market got really tight, and we've lived through the great resignation moments. Companies were afraid to take them away. Right. Because when everyone else is offering these sorts of benefits, if you take them away, then there's a lot of employees that are going to say, well, other companies offer it. I can switch over there. And, but it's not just the benefit part of it. It's the communication that companies have had with their employees across the last couple of years where they've been saying, well, we want to treat you more like a human being. We want to be more respectful. We want you to bring your whole self to work. We want to help understand your family and your personal needs. And if you take away the flexibility or the leave, then that starts to send a message, which is, well, we don't care about you as a human being. And from an employee perspective, you're saying, well, six months ago, you cared about my mental health right. and now you don't, right. but what's up with that? Well, let's talk about how some of this is starting to shift. You mentioned earlier that it's, it is difficult for companies to kind of claw back extra things that, that they've given employees. Um, what else are you seeing in terms of other companies ending these pandemic era leave policies? Yeah. So we've been collecting data about this uh, every month for actually, the last 12 months about what benefits that they're providing, but also are they starting to take them away? In the most recent month, so at the end of July, is the first time we actually have seen companies starting at scale, really pull back on these benefits. And there's about 5% of medium to large employers. So think about companies here that have several thousand employees and above. It's kind of the universe that we're talking about. About 5% of them have started to eliminate benefits that they put in place uh, during the pandemic. And those benefits are going to be bereavement leave if necessary. It's going to be additional time off that they might have put in place. It's additional benefits and support for that where you could have taken time off if kids or family members have gotten COVID. And what employees are saying, starting to say largely when it comes around COVID is, hey, it's just going to be with us for a while. We just need to figure out how to manage it on an ongoing basis. And while this is from a medical and epidemiology perspective, it's not accurate. But from a HR management perspective, it's essentially become, it's like you've got the flu in terms right. of what HR policies look like. Now, is that fair or not? That's the mental shift that we're starting to see. And if you get the flu, you don't get special leave. Right. Are there other reasons at play here? I'm particularly wondering if the possibility that is that is certainly out there being talked about of a potential recession, if that is also playing into some of these decisions, or is this really purely COVID-related? It's both. So as COVID moves to endemic, organizations can start to pull those policies out and just to simplify the world, potentially achieve some sort of cost savings that are out there. But what we're also starting to see is that there are some signs of economic weakness. Right now, it's in relatively isolated pockets. So you look at, for example, uh, companies that are in crypto, there's a lot of challenge that's going on there. 
uh, companies and industries that are really interest rate dependent. We're seeing weakness that's there. And like mortgage loan companies? Mortgage loan companies, some yeah. construction companies, that sort of space. Sure. Uh, what we're also seeing uh, in the tech space in particular is weakness with some companies that bet really heavily that we're going to be in a fully remote world. Because hmm. what we're finding is that the world isn't fully remote. The world's going to be hybrid. So we're seeing weakness there. With that said, though, uh, the labor market still is really hot. Right. Because one of the things where if we are in a recession or if there's a recession coming, where this could be a little bit different than we've seen before, is we're starting to see some separation between uh, revenue and the labor market. Uh, and that's happening for a couple of reasons. One, companies are still understaffed relative to their where they want to be. The average company is about 8 to 10% understaffed relative to the number of employees they would like to have. So even if there is an economic downturn, there's not going to be a lot of companies that say, well, let's cut headcount because there's already huge gaps relative to where they want to be. And what they're more likely to do is say, let's just not fill positions rather than get rid of the people that we've got. But here's another factor that's really important to keep in mind. In a remote hybrid world, we're entering a world where turnover is going to be forever higher. Mm. And that's occurring for a couple of reasons. One, it's easier for employees to switch jobs. Right. You don't have to move to switch jobs. You can work in a remote job uh, and still live where you want to live. And two, even if you want to work hybrid, you might not be willing to put up with an hour and a half or two hour commute each way five days a week, but you're willing to put up with it one or two days a week. And so the geographic footprint that you can look for a job is greater uh, without having to move. And then another thing that's really interesting as well is remote and hybrid employees have weaker emotional and social connections with their coworkers. And when we were all coming into the office together, if I quit, I would quit my friends. And that was a real reason why we stuck together and people didn't quit. It, it's That's who you hang out with. That's who you have lunch with. And now you have lunch with your dog and cat. Given all that, aren't companies afraid to lose workers if they do start taking away all these new benefits that they've been touting? Yeah, there's a real risk. If you're cutting benefits, if you're cutting flexibility, if you're cutting leave, if you're cutting hybrid work, there's enough other companies that are still offering that. Yeah. And what we found is that 75% of employees say that they'll quit if their company gets rid of these sorts of benefits, but that's an environment where other employers are offering it. So what you have to be really careful about as an employer, are you the first people and the first company that are cutting these benefits? Because if you do, you're going to see a significant chunk of your employees start to look for jobs in other places. If you're moving with a herd, you're probably a little bit more protected. But if you're the first couple of companies that are doing this, you're likely to see turnover challenges coming off of it. So there might be downsides to stripping away benefits that employees have gotten used to, but companies are still doing it. How are they going about it? And will any of the work-related benefits of the pandemic stick around for good? We'll get those answers in a moment. Stay with us. This podcast is brought to you by Northern Trust Wealth Management. There's more to being a successful entrepreneur than just good business practices. What is it about an entrepreneur's childhood that helped fuel their entrepreneurial spirit? What are entrepreneurs doing to cultivate this spirit in their own children and build a legacy beyond their business? Tune in each month to the Road to Why podcast by the Northern Trust Institute, where host Eric Shapea dives deeper with leading entrepreneurs on these topics and more. Find the Road to Why where you listen to your favorite podcasts. 
So how is this scaling back of benefits happening? Are companies just saying, sorry, you don't have them anymore? Uh, there's a couple ways that it's happening. Some companies are saying, we're getting rid of it. But there's also more subtle ways to do it. So some companies are just not talking about them anymore. So you might still have them in place, the flexibility, the leave that might be there, but just not as discussed. And then there's another way where there's more subtle innuendo that's happening from some senior leaders at companies where they'll say things like, yes, you can take that leave, but the people that are getting ahead are the people that are coming into the office. <laughs> you can decide what to do from there. <laughs> that's that's not very subtle, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, subtle on a continuum. Yeah, yeah. But, but there's multiple ways that are doing it. And, and what companies have to be careful about here is... When you offer these sorts of benefits, it does improve employee engagement levels. So you can improve engagement by, let's say, 5% by offering more leave. But when you take it away, you don't go back to the baseline that you had before. When you get rid of the benefit... People get really mad. Right. And it's a negative 10%. So you offer it, you get a positive, you take it away, you get a bigger negative. And going through that cycle, you're actually 5% worse off than if you had never offered it to begin with. Wow. Do you think it was fair to say that at some point there was kind of this budding feeling of, you know, hey, maybe we are seeing a more humane workplace or at least a more worker-friendly workplace and, and that maybe these changes were going to stick? Well, it'll be interesting to see which of those changes stick and which don't. And I've been lucky enough to have conversations with a variety of CEOs across the last, you know, two, three, four months. And one of the things that that bubbles up from them a lot is... Well, once the labor market gets back to normal, we're going to go back to normal. Mm, going to go back to 2019. Yeah, those, those wonderful historic days of 2019. Right. And, and what's interesting with that this manifests is CEOs aren't necessarily saying, I want everybody to be back in the office five days a week from 830 to 530 every day. They're not saying that. They're saying something different. And when it comes to these questions of flexibility and leave and, and more uh, employee-centric sorts of approaches. So it's really interesting when you talk to CEOs and employees about this, they have two different perspectives on what flexibility means. When employees think about flexibility, what they say is, it's great, I can work from home when I want to work. And when I need to come into the office, I can come into the office. CEOs and employers have a different perspective, which is, with flexibility, people can work from the office, and when they need to work from home, they're able to work from home if they've got a doctor's appointment or a sick child or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So they're putting the accent in different places. With employees, it's at home first, in the office second. For CEOs and employers, it's in the office first, at home second. And that's where the tension's going to really start to bubble up. But there's very few CEOs that are saying, in the office five days a week but they're saying in the office more than we're seeing right now. But do you think that there was a sense at some point that that all of these changes were, were going to stick, right? That there was this fundamental shift in the humanity of the workplace, that we had all seen each other in our homes, that we had all been through a global trauma, and that this was going to shift our relationships and, and, and our work lives forever, uh, do, do you think that that was the case even a few months ago? The pendulum during the pandemic and the great resignation swung all of the way towards employees. Right. And I don't think we're going to go back to 2019. 
But I think we're going to come back a little bit compared to the heights of the Great Resignation. So, Brian, where do you see this going? Uh, what other benefits might we see go next? Or, or do we have reason to think that some of these pandemic era changes might end up being permanent? What I believe we're likely to see is companies splitting with what their value propositions look like. There's going to be probably a majority of companies uh, that will say, we want to create a more human working experience for you. We're going to offer some of this flexibility. We're going to keep some of these benefits in place. We really want to support you as a full human being. But then we're going to have another set of companies that will say, look, work is about making money and we're going to pay higher than market, but we're going to expect you to work really hard. You're not going to get additional vacation, uh, but our value proposition is going to be work hard, get paid. And all of that being human stuff, you can do that with your friends, your church, your social network, your sports team on weekends. Wow. And so we're going to see that sort of split emerge. I think the majority will be in the more human part of it, but there's going to be a significant chunk that just have a different value proposition. And employees are going to have to pick and choose. So Brian, even with these companies revising these expanded leave policies now, would you say we're still looking at a net gain toward a more humane workplace? Or again, are we just going right back to where we were three years ago? It's going to be a net gain. Uh, in comparison to 2019, it's going to be a more human workplace on average. Uh, and part of that is there's certain things that just can't be undone. Hmm. We've asked our employees to bring their whole selves into the workplace. Once that's occurred, you can't put that back in a bottle and say, well, we've asked you to bring in uh, who you are and appreciate the diversity of who you are in the workplace. We're not going to say, and don't do that anymore. There's also situations when it comes to politics and cultural debates of the day that companies are being forced to do it. There's companies that have made fundamental decisions about how they're going to work and interact with their employees that really can't be undone at this point. There's a series of one-way doors that they've walked through. Now, we're going to move back to an equilibrium that's a little bit more balanced between employee and employer. But where that equilibrium is going to settle, in most cases, is more in favor of the employee than where we were in 2019. Brian Kropp, thank you so much for joining us and for helping us out today. Thanks so much for having me. So the only constant, at least in the benefits world, is change. But here's another constant of the working world. You can't pick your boss. So if you're dealing with one that you don't quite get along with, we'll have some tips in a moment for surviving and possibly even thriving in that environment. Stay with us. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM, let's create. And finally today, our pro tip. You know them, you don't love them, and you wonder how on earth you're going to deal with them. It's the bad boss, capital B, capital B. If you've never had one, consider yourself fortunate. 
Because unless you're prepared to leave your job, that person is going to have a lot of sway over your daily grind and ultimately your career. So you have to learn how to deal with a capital D. So for some advice, we are turning to our work and life columnist, Rachel Feinzig, who of course has no personal experience with this subject matter, but is here to help those who do. Rachel, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. This is hardly a new issue in the workplace, but it's reared its head in some kind of unique ways and for specific reasons over the last couple of years, hasn't it, as people started uh, job hopping in the Great Recession? Exactly. I think in this moment, there are a few things going on. I mean, the first is that a lot of people were promoted to be managers for the first time who may or may not actually know how to manage the people underneath them. So you might be dealing with a new boss. Maybe they're just a little insecure or they're new to this gig, but they could be making your life not mm-hmm. not so fun. Um, and then there's this thing where we were interviewing over Zoom and we didn't quite maybe know what we were getting into. Just a stranger on a box on our laptop. And then we got called up back to the office and it was like, they were just totally different than we expected or the setup was totally different. I just think there's been a lot of job surprise and regret. And a lot of that has to do with who's managing you. All right. Well, let's go through a few of the somewhat uh, classic managerial issues that workers find themselves contending with. Uh, First, the micromanager. This always seems to me to be uh, an issue of trust. They just don't trust you to do the job right or to do the job the way they want it done. How best to manage this manager? Yeah, they're like plagued by this lack of certainty Mm. is what experts told me. Like they just feel like they don't know how this project is going to turn out. And you're right, Tess, they don't trust you. And so they kind of insert themselves. And so what you want to do is give them that certainty, give them that assurance. And that can look like upfront, just making sure you're clarifying exactly what they want, just like flood them with information. And I think that's the part that's really painful for people because we feel like we don't want to be babysat. But I think that's what really works. And we'll laugh them kind of loosen up on you. And then there's the opposite problem, which is the boss who's <laughs> just completely checked out, trusts you maybe too much to the point where you have almost no communication. What are some steps to take if this is your manager? Be really tenacious. Set up you know, twice as many meetings as you think you will need. They're going to cancel half of them, you know, and, and like be brief, be specific about what you want to talk to them about and then follow through so they know like Rachel doesn't waste my time because, you know, the checked out boss could just be super busy with other people and not just not have that much time for you. And what about just plain awful behavior, yelling, bullying, tossing insults out at people? That's that's then an HR issue, isn't it? Yeah. The toxic whirlwind of a boss is a huge problem. The general thing I heard there from people is like, you probably do just need to get out. But there are things you can do in the meantime. You can try to overthrow your terrible boss. It's risky. You should have a plan B. You should have your resume prepped. But companies also don't want bad bosses. Well, Rachel, thank you. And uh, I wish you a career full of nothing but Glinda the Good Witch as a supervisor. I wish that for all of us, Tess. But then what would fun things will we have to talk about? Well, that's true. Thanks so much. (laughs) Take care. Next time, it's something we've all been told since we were little kids. The ticket to career success and more money is a college degree. But since the pandemic began, colleges have seen a significant drop in enrollment. In a tight labor market with employers trying to outbid one another for talent, some people are deciding to grab a job and think about school later. But when the labor market softens, as it inevitably will at some point, what then? We'll explore what dropping out means for long-term career prospects. 
A reminder that we really do want to hear from you. You can email us at aswework at wsj.com. Let us know your comments, concerns. Tell us your stories about work and careers. You can also find us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts, and I'm at Tess Bigland. As We Work is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. Jonathan Sanders is our booking producer. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Jessica Fenton is a ferry boat ride on a sunny day. And our sound engineer. Our music was composed by Hansdale Sue. Kateri Yoakum is The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. I'm Tess Vigland. See you next time. <laughs>